I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a tapping practitioner and trainer, a trauma specialist and anti-racism and anti-oppression educator, a writer, a meditation teacher, and a proudly anti-Zionist Jewish woman. Being a white woman in this space requires constant self-reflection and learning and unlearning. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of people doing work in all aspects of anti-racism and anti-oppression, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topics ranging from healthcare to spirituality to politics and beyond, in order to provide a nuanced educational and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. Hi, I am Dr. Maisha, and um, we are back for another episode. And I am excited to be having an, another conversation with my partner in transformation, Dr. Joe Wiener. Hi, Joe. Hi. This is so fun. I love doing um, collaborations with you outside. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're like both of us separately, but also us together. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about the work of that we do, uh, conscious anti-racism, being you know when we do the work in organizations, how it benefits um, white people, and especially in terms of their skill set, their resilience to talk about racism and talk about um, oppression, and 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 even how to do this work out in their organizations and their communities. But what we don't often talk about is the benefit of this work to people of marginalized identities. And I'll, I'll share, you know, when we first came together at, in partnership, I, you know, even, even as having a lived experience, I felt like that there was so much that I didn't know. There was just, I was just so behind the eight ball. And I mean, I'll be honest, I am every single day still learning, um, learning about history, learning, you know, I'm, I'm much more involved, you know, sort of like in the learning of global events and, you know, with everything that's been going on, but, and I, and I'll share, you know, like history growing up as a kid, I didn't like history. Now I understand why I didn't like history. Mm. History was boring. History was not interesting to me. And I understand why. And I especially understood why when I started really delving into this work. And so for me, what was so eye-opening was as, you know, and part of part of what we do in our, our conversations is we we do the definitions and we talk about white supremacism culture. And then we go through these, you know, the, the specific, you know, characteristics of them. And for me, it was, it was, it was being able to see where I was occupying some of these symptoms and characteristics and understanding and, and actually being able to have some sense of self-forgiveness around it, mm. you know, to be able to say, oh, this is the, the air that I breathe, the water that I swim in. And it was sort of installed and inherited from generation to generation to generation. And, and that for me was eye-opening, not from this, not only from the standpoint of not only from the standpoint of um, understanding where some of my behaviors came from and, and some of the things that I had experienced that I couldn't quite put my finger on but didn't feel good to me, but also it made me look at history a little bit differently. 
And it actually made me want to learn more about history and how these characteristics came to be and how this mindset came to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It reminds me a little bit, this may or may not be relevant, but like when I was a doctor, I always like hated myself for not reading enough. (laughs) And now that I do this work, I'm like, all I want to do is read and learn. And it feels like I'm connected into it so much better. And it's like, oh, I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be because I'm so it's very different from what you shared, but it's also kind of like when you connect in with it, when it feels yeah. relevant, when it feels, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's sort of a sidebar the other day, my son said to me, this is what made me recognize this. My son said to me, man, I don't like history. It's boring. Oh. And when he said that it immediately, that's, that's what it brought up for me. And I, and I said to him, you know, I didn't like history either when I was a kid, but I think it's because I never saw myself in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, and the way that, um, it was depicted was, it wasn't, it wasn't very positive about, you know, my particular identity. Yeah. So had I learned something different, then maybe I would have, you know, really gotten into it more. And, and, and perhaps I would have been a little bit further on when I started this work, not to beat myself up about where I was when I started this work, but just to say, this is why this work is so beneficial. Yeah, I think that's funny. <laughs> zero, zero beating yourself up about it. <laughs> I think having your lived experience is, is enough. And it is really interesting you know, in my lived experience as a Jewish person, as a woman, to recognize that whiteness still is there, mm-hmm. even with those identities. So, so they're both marginalized identities and race is a part of it. And if I don't learn about anti-blackness, if I don't learn about whiteness, mm-hmm. then I then I'm not showing up fully as myself. And I'm also showing up in a way that is going to be causing harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also been interesting seeing the way some of the executives that, that we've worked with during our trainings who are people with marginalized identity, who are, who are black people, um, and, uh, are like have areas of growth mm-hmm. as human. And because there are other identities and there's, you know, there's this mindset, like you said, it was kind of, you inherited it as we all did. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we decolonize, not just the white people, uh, not just the people with with no marginalized identities, but how do we work on decolonizing all of it? Yeah, and I love and I love the use of the word decolonization because it that that's very accurate. You know, it's it's when I think sometimes when we talk about anti racism work, especially when speaking about people of marginalized identities and particularly black people doing this work, there can be a mindset of I don't need anti-racism work. I'm, you know, like I'm black, like I I know about that. And, and, and I, and to be honest, there was a, there was a, probably a a point in my life where I felt a similar way. Um, and it's, you know, words are so powerful when you think about it in the context of decolonization, it changed, it completely changes the, the mental image in your brain about what this work is. And I think that is more what we do is decolonization work and anti-oppression work. And, and I do agree, like, you know, 
for for people of all marginalized identities, this work is important. Whether you're, you know, for anyone who I think it's what's 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 powerful about it is it gives you a sense of what's at the helm of it all. Mm. Right. Yeah. Colonization is at the helm of it all. And and white supremacism is at sort of like the root of it all. And it impacts all of us. Yeah. No matter what identity. And I think it's valuable for someone like me to do this work and to see even where my own biases may be happening with someone who does not occupy my same identity or whose identity I do not occupy. Yeah. Right. And to see the, the levels of bias from a, from a cultural and a community standpoint, and to understand that still comes from the same root. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And one, I guess maybe one other thing that I would want to name also is, um, you know, you were saying that a lot of black people are like, what do you mean? I don't need to to do this work. (laughs) Honoring and naming as of course you would do uh, that. Like this work has, can cause harm mm-hmm. to, to people with marginalized identities, particularly black people when it is done in a way that's not trauma informed. And when it's done in a way that, you know, isn't, isn't teaching to them. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, like having people sit and witness like the harms that have been done to them and watching other people grapple with them is, is um, not particularly uh, helpful. Yeah. Uh, that's to, to say it lightly. So um, just kind of bringing that in as well, when, when there is that kind of trauma aspect to it, mm-hmm. it can, it can make it even harder to engage in the work. Um, yeah. That's the end of my sentence. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I thank you for that punctuation. <laughs> I, I, you know what, I I appreciate um, what you said, and and I think what's really great about the way we've designed the work that we do with organizations <coughs> is that there is this way that we have. Um, this set of tools that we've 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 put into our work that help both all identities that are doing this work manage the discomfort of the work itself. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's something that's very unique about what we do. So, and then not only that, but then like, okay, now that. Um, you know what these symptoms are, these characteristics are, you know the definitions, you know the history, you know what's harmful. How do you navigate? And, and, you, and you know how to even navigate the discomfort of your own thoughts and, and, and processes and beliefs and all of that, your fears, all the things. Here's, here's a bridge of now how to communicate and how to manage that in a trauma-informed manner. Yeah. And it's um, it's going from, as we like to say, insight to action. Mm. And mm. yes. And, and and it's 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 like bring and then we and then the bridge from okay, this is how you deal day to day with a human being, but this is how you also put this in a community. Like how can you take these tools and put it in a community because insight without 
action is just an idea yeah that sort of floats away and you know we know conversations disappear so i think that's i've I've always thought that's what's that's really cool about you know what we do and what you bring as a as a a, a mindfulness meditation and also as a tapping uh instructor um is is super valuable and then you know the communication aspect of what i bring um, in addition to for both of us being trauma informed and both of us having that, and I have some of that mindfulness background as well. It just gives brings a different lens. The word that I want to use is it's imp- it empowers people yeah. rather than disempowers people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, like as you're saying it, you know, for me, my my white woman anti-racism journey began well before 2020, but what did start to become much more apparent to me during that time was the way that like meditation and wellness spaces have been colonized and Mm -hmm. uh, cultural appropriation and, you know, spiritual bypassing and all of that. And that, you know, it, 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 it's, I think a super, super eye-opening to be able to recognize as a wellness practitioner, to be able to recognize the way that shows up and then to teach people and hold space for people from a trauma-informed lens rather than from a colonized lens. Now, of course, I'm always going to be colonized. There's no way I can uncolonize it because I'm, I am who I am. Um, but, but, but having that lens and, and understanding the way that people are showing up is going to impact their experience in my, mm-hmm. you know, tapping session or my meditation session. Um, and then bringing that decolonizing out now back. It's like, it's like the anti-racism work got brought into the, the, the wellness work and now the wellness work, the way I started to understand colon, you know, uh, colonization now is coming back out to our corporate work, um, mm-hmm. through that lens, which I really like. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, kind of what you going back to what you said about the wellness space, being colonized and the cultural appropriation there as a yogi, I'm seeing that. And there's a lot of creators that are starting to call that in now. Mm. So it's nice to kind of, it's, it's, you know, just, it reminds me like calling that full circle in the, in the spaces that we don't often recognize as being spaces that are colonized, you know, cause a lot of people focus on the corporations and the medical systems and, but what, what, what about these, these personal development or wellness or, you know, spiritual spaces yeah. that are causing harm. And especially when we talk about spiritual spaces, we can go into a whole conversation about the church mm. and, and religious communities, you know, um, of all identities, mind you, because religion Well, I'll speak specifically about Christianity because that's the background from which I come from, or that's where, how I grew up, I should say. Um, that is very, very steeped in white supremacism. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's interesting when you talk about like these spaces that maybe not everybody pays attention to, especially when we're on LinkedIn because most people are talking about education and medical and you know yeah. like academic spaces, corporate spaces. Yeah. We we, all, we can forget about the the other spaces as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you feel like it might be helpful to talk about a couple like specific examples of how decolonization applies maybe to folks of different identities and, and, and how just to kind of illustrate it, if what we're talking about for people who haven't, who may get it already. And also for people who may not know the term colonized or, or what that would look like. 
Sure. Um, sure. Um, when I think about it, and, and you're speaking specifically from other other marginalized identities. Well, I'm just, you know, some of the stuff that we've come across in our trainings that oh, we've, yeah. we've led some of our CEOs mm-hmm. and, and their kind of blind spots. Um, you know, the one in particular I'm thinking about is a, a Black woman CEO who finished our training and was like, holy crap, like I've been using a lot of these characteristics of white supremacy culture as how I lead Yeah, this big moment. So I guess I, I would love to hear your thoughts on on that moment. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that when, when she shared that, I very much related to that, not as a, not as a CEO, but just as a, as a black woman who had been doing this work and had had that similar experience when we were developing our training and I was doing the work of learning and digging and, and, and uh, researching and all of that. Um, the other, the other, I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it a lot. We've seen it in, uh, you know, what, one of the things that actually comes forward for me is, thinking uh, when we were in one of the organizations that we work with, um, you know, we were doing, I think, an opening and we have a uh, a, a, a white gay male. Mm. And one of the things he said that rang for me is that I may be, um, I, I may be of a particular marginalized identity, but I'm white first. Yeah. And I thought that was like, huh. Okay, you know, like that's where intersectionality comes comes into play. Yes, you know, and and I've heard, um, and I've heard other white women say the same thing, and and I've heard um, white trans uh, people say that as well. Like it, when when the awareness is there that these are marginalized identities, and they can be impacted, and they can still occupy the symptoms of white supremacism. And even, you know, we of course have had um, trainings with black men who recognize like, wow, I didn't realize right to comfort was there so much. Mm, yeah. You know, um, when they're nervous about making mistakes in and and marginalizing other communities. Yeah. Right perfectionism is there and, 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 and being paralyzed because of those fears. Yeah. So it, it just goes to show that whether you are the, whatever identity you occupy at the, at the helm of some of these symptoms coming up, you know, we, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same air. It's the same air. And it shows up differently in all of us. And it shows up the same in all of us too, I think. Cause like thinking about like a black man at the head of an organization, who's like, crap, like I don't want to mess up because I, you know, didn't provide, you know, space for people of different religions to have space to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just shut down and didn't, want, you know, just didn't want to acknowledge it because I didn't want to mess up. Mm-hmm. Like that's usually the kind of stuff you would hear Someone who looks like me say like, oh, I don't want to make the wrong list. So it's just like, it shows up that, that sort of defensiveness and that right to comfort, like you were saying, it's, Mm -hmm. it is so interesting to see how it shows up in different spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you were mentioning white folks who, who see it with, you know, a a white gay man or Mm -hmm. a a white trans person. And then there's other 
times where it's not seen. Oh yeah. That's obviously. Um, but like when, when, you know, in white feminism, which mm -hmm. a lot of white women don't know that like the feminist movement was extraordinarily racist and oh, caused yeah. a lot of harm to black women yeah. continues to honestly, and until we call not decolonize that space, mm -hmm. there's always going to be this, but I'm a woman and I understand and I don't need to learn because I already know what it's like to be marginalized. Uh -huh. um, in, in Jewish spaces, you know, it's taken me, you know, I've like clawed out of, clawed my way out of my own internalized anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. which has taken years and finally like shown up in, in, in our spaces, like as my full identity. And then, and then. October 7th. And now I'm like, okay, well, how do I navigate this as like an anti-Zionist Jew? And how mm -hmm. do I show up as that? And how do I, I don't know, like watch my own right to comfort for Zionist Jews, like to not harm them, but like, why am I trying to not harm them? And, and, and like Zionist Jews who are kind of a lot of people are seeing like, we're scared. This is our trauma. And, and, it's, and there's the yes, and then there's the and. Yes. This is our trauma and yeah. so many other traumas. And if we're so focused on our own trauma, we cause harm. We're just as we're just as complicit. Mm -hmm. not, none of these other identities get us out of whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> or get us out of anti-blackness, I, I suppose I would say also. Yeah. Um, because that, you know, that's how strong it is. And so I think. For anyone li listening, I think this work is important for white folks with marginalized identities also, um, yeah. for, for people who think like they get it. And I, I, you know, I certainly, it's hard to remember like what I thought all the way back then, except I know that I thought I was like not racist, you know, and that I didn't have anti-black bias or that I wouldn't have even talked about it like that. So um, recognizing that it's in all of us in different ways and what do you call it? The force behind it all? Yeah. That it's a, yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the, what's at the helm. It's the force. It's the root of yeah. it all. And, yeah. and the force wants us to not recognize it. Absolutely. So that we stay in silos and that we can like, I, I'm just going to share a story. Yesterday, I was at a, a, a hearing uh, at the Georgia state legislature to, for about a, a bill that's being passed theoretically to like codify anti-Semitism. That's like theoretically supposed to be, you know, supporting, you know, fighting anti-Semitism, but it's not like, it's got a lot of other, a lot of other things. And so we show up, I'm there with like the anti-Zionist Jewish contingency plus the coalition of, Muslim people who this bill would harm and, um, you know, other groups as well. And we walk, we walk in and the group that's supporting it is the Christian Zionists and then also Jewish Zionists. So they're there and they're like my people theoretically, but right now they don't feel like my people, which is its own whole thing. But like, but then they start the prayer. They start the, the session with a prayer, a Christian prayer, not the, you know, the, the people in charge, the people yeah. in the committee. Yeah. And they're like, you know, in Christ's name. And so I'm looking over and I'm like, see, this is what used to, we, we used to be part of a community. Right. Now it feels like we're, we're, you know, we're holding different signs, but it's keeping us separate. So what's so interesting is the complexity. Yeah. And, and people have no space for complexity. It is. Yeah. 
it is this way or it is that way. Like it's that binary, very harmful binary thinking that is actually one of the characteristics, you know, like this, it's either or. There's no room for complexity. And what you just described is incredible complexity. Like the, they used to be my people, but they don't feel like my people. And then in that moment, you are, it was the same. It was yeah. like, huh? <laughs> and then moments later, it's not the same again. Right. Like right. the complexity that, that of division that happens. I, I, I was, it's interesting as you, as you share that, it brought to, to mind colorism for, for mm-hmm. inside of our communities, inside of the, you know, um, black and Latino communities and other communities who are communities of color, who have a, the spectrum of shades inside of their communities. And oftentimes there is quite a bit of colorism, um, darker skin, having more, have experiencing more marginalization or more um, harm than lighter skin populations. And, and even colorism within the community and then colorism from X outside the community as well. So like someone like me who is fair, like fair, um, fairly light or skinned, like lighter skinned, there are shades that are lighter than me. And, you know, I have been called names that indicate light skinned. (laughs) Okay. Um, And so, um, so that as a lighter skinned person, I still have more privilege than perhaps my darker skin counterparts because of colorism. And at the hel- and then so and then at the helm of all of that, and then we have colorism inside of our communities because let's be clear, inside we know that inside of the we I, I hear this so much inside of the Latino communities, particularly inside of the Dominican community. Um, what, as I'm as I'm watching, you know, uh, watching content creators, it's a big conversation inside the, the Dominican community right now. And um, the the helm of all of that is guess what? White supremacism, because the closer you, the closer proximity to whiteness, then you know the quote unquote better or more superior. Uh, and then you you can see that in you know just various other cultures as well. You can see that in. Uh, the East Indian culture, you can see that even inside of the Middle Eastern cultures, you can see that in African, in certain African cultures, like, you know, there's a riff in the Egyptian community. You can see that, you can even see that in Far East Asian cultures as well. I mean, like the colorism happens globally. The anti-Blackness happens globally. And, and what's just so heartbreaking for me about it is to understand what's at the helm of it and see that nobody really gets the what's at the helm of it is the same thing and it's designed specifically to divide and conquer and that's where it even comes from yeah right? supremacism is divide and conquer what are your thoughts on we've talked a lot about like the way whiteness shows up in white people and we talked about you know white what the way white supremacism shows up in in black folks what are your thoughts on like how it shows up in people who are like of different racial identities that are not white and are not black? Well, 
Well, I mean, it shows up, I think it shows up very similarly. I, when you think about what what colonization is and, and what the, the, the underlying message is, is, and then we can, we can, we can actually talk, let's, let's talk about, you know, what comes to mind for me is like Irish community. And even though most of the time when you see an Irish person, they look very white, there used to be a time where they didn't, that wasn't what they considered themselves. Right. And I think um, the the Greek community, and there's there's a lot of other communities who look white, but they don't, they never, they didn't consider themselves white. Right. The Jewish community. Yeah. Yes. And, and by the way, and you know, this, you know, like when people think of Jewish people, they think of people who look like you and they often don't think of the, 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 the spectrum of shades of skin of Jewish. And so then as a result, the black Jewish community is completely marginalized and not even accepted as you, you are, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but like, that's, it's very interesting to me because I have a good friend of mine who's from, she's, she's a, she's a black Jew from Israel. And so, you know, there's that. There's a lot, yeah. Um, but speaking speaking back to the back to the, the the communities like the European communities that didn't consider themselves white. Well, you know, and the historically speaking, the, the British came down on anyone who wasn't British, right? And so <clears throat> what ended up happening is these other communities gave up they they quote unquote gave up their cultural identities to be proximal to whiteness because they could and and that's how this 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 you know started to gain momentum this sort of white supremacism so your original question i believe i believe was how do you think it shows up in people who are not black or not not white. And I think I, I talked about, you know, they have white skin, but they didn't consider themselves white. Yeah. So then, so then proximity to whiteness was good. And so then when you go into other communities as, as these various European white skinned people go into these various other cultures who have brown skin, the closer that their skin was to looking white, the better they were treated. And thus the internalized conversation is, the closer I am t- to think like, you know, act like, mm-hmm. get rid of my accent. Right. You know, I've heard a lot from, especially from like the Asian community who have said, you know, don't like try to get rid of their accent. Latino communities try to get rid of their accent so that they can fit in so that they are not mistreated as they would be otherwise. So that's, yeah the long way around to the, to the answer to the question. Yeah, that's so interesting. Cause I, I feel like, and you can share your experience, but I've, I've heard almost like, you know, the way they talk about like white, white silence or white complicity, where it's like, there's a whole room of white people and white people just talk differently when there's not someone black around, like they're just going to say things that also happens when I'm with people who are not black, but are not white. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't really understand. Can't they just like pull themselves up by their bootstraps? And like, 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 like I hear things like this from very, very smart, educated, wonderful people, progressive people who don't see their own anti-blackness because they have contended with their own racialized trauma and their own perhaps immigrant trauma and everything. And so how does that land? Like, how does it, 
how was it on your end? How does it land for me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it lands the same as when, you know, I, I hate to say this, but for me personally, I'm so, I'm so used to it, which is sad to say yeah. that it doesn't impact me differently from how it does with when white people do it. Yeah. I will share that when I first realized that it, it was very painful. And when I first realized it, I didn't, I was so confused and I didn't understand it. I'll tell you when I was, I worked in New Zealand for six months early on in my career and um, part as part of the 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 return as part of one of the benefits, we got to stop over in a place. And and me and my partner at the time we stopped in Fiji. So you know Fiji has a lot of of, of black people and black of African descent, but also black Indians. And I say when I say black, I mean like there were people there were it, there were were East and in Southeast Asians who were the same skin shade as Fijian Africans. South, South Asians? Like people South, from India? South Asians, yeah. yes. Sorry. South Asians who were the same shade of skin as pe- Black Fijians of African descent. Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the indigenous Fijians are of African descent. The yeah. indigenous Fijians. So I was walking down the street one day and this um, this Fijian came up to me, and and we were walking and talking. And of course, he was he was trying to I don't know he was trying to sell me some watch or something. But we were just he was friendly. We were walking. We we're talking. I was like, hey, you know. And clearly, he was of African descent. And so, um, as we were walking, um, I don't know how we got to this part of the conversation, but he says to me, you know, the Indians. The, the, the people who are from India, they hate us because we're black. And I was like, what? And I had seen black <laughs> people who were of Indian descent yeah. from India. And I was like, how is that possible? You're the same shade of, of you're the same hue. And he was like, I don't know, man, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And it was the first time that I was like, oh, you mean this is everywhere? It's not just in the U.S.? I can't go. I can go all the way over to Fiji. And then I started to do the research. And I was like, oh, this is sad. So then from that point on, you know, like when you see something, you can't unsee it. So then I could see it. Then I could see it in the Far East Asian communities. I can see it in the South Asian communities. I can see it in you know, the, the Middle Middle East Arab communities. I can see it in Northern African communities. I can see it in whatever communities that were not Black. I can see it in Latino communities. And I was like, oh, anti-Blackness is global. And it was, so now I think I've just gotten to the point where, I, you know, I've sort of accepted it is what it is. And this is the work that we are doing. Thank you for sharing that experience. Um, it's, Funny, interesting. Um, oh, I had a thing. It was so good, Maisha. <laughs> it was like bringing it all home, bringing it all together. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, it'll come back to me. It'll, it'll come back to me when it needs to. But uh, yeah, the anti the anti blackness, it is there. Um, and I think. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So when I first started doing anti racism work, like in in real earnest, mm-hmm. I was like, 
I can't talk about being Jewish. I don't, my identity doesn't count. Mm. And no one's identity that's not black doesn't count. You know what I mean? I was very much kind of like, well, you're not black. So you don't even know. But like, I was, I really, really didn't know. But so I think I was so focused on working through anti-blackness that I was unintentionally or maybe intentionally, I don't know, but like, un, you know, not honoring the lived experience of people who are not white, but who, who are non-black as well. Yeah. And so I want to bring that in too. It's like, what a comp like, like you're saying the complexity of okay um there's this proximity to whiteness thing and then there's also this like my own racialized trauma and then there's also this anti-blackness thing and and being able to see that mm -hmm. uh sort of control of it all mm -hmm. uh the source of it uh as one thing mm -hmm. is just so eye-opening yeah. And I think it's allowed me to bring my whole self in and it's allowed me to see other people in the, their whole selves into like, like you were saying that complexity to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I'll drop one more complexity in the bucket <laughs> because across a lot of marginalized identities is also anti-trans, anti-LGBTQI anti yeah. sentiment. And and I mean, across all identities, including marginalized identities. And so like that, that's another complexity and it's still the root is yeah. colonization, right? Which is, which is wild because if you think, if you look at the history, European history, you know, th there was all kind of L, G, B, T, Q, and I. Yeah. So how in the world did whiteness and white supremacism mar end up marginalizing those communities when yeah. it was, and what it is, it's religion. Mm. I mean, I'll, I'll stop it at that. <laughs> Cause, Cause I just, it just popped into like, Oh, when I think about how I grew up and, and reading the Bible, the Bible and how the Bible has been contorted and, you know, I'll just I'll just stop there. But yes, I think that's that's sort of like how that crept in because it wasn't, you know. Yeah, I think absolutely. And Islamophobia and and you know, being in in obviously there's is Muslims in all racial identities. Mm. Um, so you know, anti-Semitism shows up in 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 I've experienced a lot of anti-Semitism from black people. And then I I don't I don't hold it against them because I know that it's not from a place you know, the, the stuff that I've experienced, I will say, is not from a place of, of hate. It's, it's from a place of, of, of not knowing the ways yeah. it shows up. And I can also say, well, I can't really point my finger because there's anti-blackness in the Jewish community and there's anti-blackness and obviously in white spaces. So like, how could I point a finger elsewhere without acknowledging my own, uh, spots that I'm not seeing. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, what we have to do is, is if, if we can recognize the root, when we see it coming up, it's, it's naming it. Yeah. Especially if, if it's something that, you know, like in the instance where we were, we were in a meeting with one of our leaders and, and, and he said something that really was harmful at, and it was like could, could be construed as or and it like was it was experienced by you as anti-semitic and you were able to like name it 
and it wasn't out of it was out of ignorance and not out of out of of, of um, malice. Yeah, right. And so then in naming it, there was a beautiful connected connected conversation. Now that's of course not always the way it's going to be because we know generally speaking, you know, there's a lot of fragility <laughs> that happens in people. Right. right? particularly in the white communities. Um, there's a lot of fragility and there's no resilience around having these conversations and being wrong. But when we name it, then we we open the conversation. Yeah. And and I think that's sort of like what's happening now. And and, and, I, and just to bring it back to, bring it around. I, I, I don't like to leave people with hope. I, I mean, I do like to leave people a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. To bring it back around, I think that, we are seeing with social media, and this is one of the things, you know, I used to hate social media, but now not so bad, not so bad anymore. I mean, it, it, context, it contextually speaking, but you, you are seeing the conversations from all our identities, marginalized white and marginalized identities begin to speak the truth about what's at the helm. And I think that we are moving towards a tipping point in this work. I think we are moving towards a tipping point in this work. I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. And when I see Far East Asian, when I see South Asian, when I see um, like Northern African, Middle Eastern, white European, um, indigenous um, communities, Latino communities. Um, when I see the com- these communities starting to speak about the helm, the root, yeah. white supremacism, and honor each other, and also honor the experience of anti-blackness, like what the harm of anti-blackness, um, it gives me some hope that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Absolutely. I just had a moment where I realized we have not really talked about the indigenous experience in the United States at all, which is kind of one of the things that can happen is the like attempted erasure. And so I want to just take a moment to be like, we haven't talked about that experience and neither one of us have that lived experience. Um, And all these things, I don't know, what, what thoughts do you have around that? Like kind of bringing what we're talking about? You know, I think it's very similar. Um, in terms, of, I think it's it's in terms of. Well, so here's here's one thing I'll say about. I don't think there could be a whole podcast on this, um, but here's one thing I'll say about what I love about Indigenous community is they. How do I say this? I feel like they are a strong-minded community because they have held on yeah. and to their. They are held strongly to their identities. And if there's one place where I do not see the attempt of proximity to whiteness, mm-hmm. it is in the indigenous community. Yeah. And it is something that I love so much. And, and, and at the same time gives me personally a little bit of sadness because of, ooh, because of the fact that I don't have that connection. I don't have that immediate connection to that type of ancestry. And, and so I think that's what I'll say about it for now. Thanks, Maisha. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> um, we never know where the tears are going to come from. We never know where the is going to come It hit me. Um, and yeah, I mean, like colonization is like, you know, that's that's the like the 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 indigenous people and the black people in our country are the people who experienced it at the absolute most intense, at the absolute most harm. Mm-hmm. And it just like, you know, impacts perhaps in a different way. Yeah. Um, so, well, thanks for having this conversation, man. You know, we could talk all day and we're going to, and you know, what's so fun. What's so fun is that this is the first of many conversations. You know, we've been talking about this for a while and me and you need to be on podcasts more often. And we finally put it in our calendars to do it. Yes. It's happening. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I look forward to the next conversation and I will say to the audience, as always, thank you for listening because without the listeners, there is no podcast and please share this episode. Please share, please leave reviews, leave comments um, because we, we, this is, this is the work that we need to get out there. And of course, um, if you are in an organization or a community that is ready to do the work of decolonization, um, the work of anti-oppression, then you need to go to consciousantiracism.com. And we also LinkedIn. And um, yeah, come come see us. One last thing to add. If you're listening to this on Conscious Anti-Racism, please follow the Black Mind Garden, which is Maisha's podcast. And if you're listening to it on the Black Mind Garden, please follow Conscious Anti-Racism, which is my podcast. That is right. In two spots at the same time. That's right. That's right. So, all right. Well, then we will see you all in the next episode. Until then, stay empowered. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.